And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Hello there, my name is uh, Neville. I'm one of the leaders here at Emmanuel, and I'm uh, looking forward today to continuing in our series, our sermon series, looking at the first four chapters of the book of Acts. So whether you're watching this today at one of our sites, uh, maybe over in Shoreham, or at Oasis site, or, or the Villa site in Hove, or at our New England site, uh, you're, you're more than welcome. So uh, I want to get straight into this. I think uh, we're just looking at these first four chapters, and we've called this series, uh, The World Turned Upside Down. And the idea of the series is to kind of show the spread of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, from Jerusalem into the world and and where we are today in Brighton is reach Brighton and Hove and the whole surrounding area and the, and the nations of the world and what we're looking at here is an extraordinary moment in history the impact of which is still being felt and you might say well you've called it the world turned upside down that's a bit grand it's a bit of a big title isn't it well I don't think it is. And interestingly, just by Acts chapter 17, just 17 chapters into the book of Acts, uh, people are saying of the followers of Jesus, oh, these are the people that are turning the world upside down. So that's what we've called this series. You'll find it in Acts chapter 17, verse 6. That's what's being said back then, 2,000 years ago. This is a dramatic story that's really affected world history since. And it's a narrative of the birth of the Christian church and the continuing work of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And today, uh, you've heard read to you the first 12 verses of chapter 4. That's what we'll be uh, looking at. And there's just three things I want to put out of these, just these 12 verses. There's quite a lot happening in these 12 verses. Uh, the first thing I, I, I want to look at is the, is the advance or the success of the gospel. And let me just recap for a moment. So when we start this series at the very beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus has returned. Jesus goes to the cross. He's, he dies on the cross. He then, the disciples think he's buried and dead and gone. He then is raised from the dead. 
he reappears to his disciples, spends time with them, and while he's with them, he, he kind of promises to them that they're to, to wait and, and the Holy Spirit will be poured out on them. So that's what happened. The Spirit gets poured out. This then community starts to be formed. Thousands are responding uh, to, to the apostles who were speaking about Jesus. And this community is forming and they're devoted to one another. They're devoted to teaching. They've got glad and generous hearts. They're meeting together. They're sharing together. It's a radical new community that's being formed in the city of Jerusalem. And just last week, we looked at chapter 3, where Peter and John go up to the temple and they pass a man that's been begging there for 40 years. And Peter and the, and the man cries out, have you got some money for me? He's begging for money. And Peter stops, asks the man to look at him and says, uh, I haven't got money, but what I do have I give to you. Rise up and be wed in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the Bible says immediately the man got up and he was healed. And he's now leaping and praising God in the temple courts. And it says in, in verse 10, they were filled with wonder and amazement. This is from chapter 3 last week. And then a crowd gathers, uh, unsurprisingly, uh, with this miracle. And then Peter preaches his second sermon that's recorded in the book of Acts. And that's where we got to today. So now these 12 verses at chapter 4. And what happens, what we read about at the beginning here, is it says the Sadducees, who are like a, uh, a liberal religious sect, quite wealthy, the priests, the priests who are the, the, the teachers of the law, and then the captain of the temple, who we kind of describe as the police, are very disturbed about what's going on. And they arrest Peter and John and put them in prison overnight. And we'll say more about that in a moment. Now, what's happening here? Verse 4 says this, But many, many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, you check some Greek words uh, for man actually mean men and women, but this is a very specific word that means men. So it's possible this was just happening in a part of the temple that was for men. And so actually, this literally means uh, 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 it, it's talking about men responding because they were what was seeing and hearing what was happening. And the number came to about 5,000. Again, it's not clear whether 5,000 respond in this moment, or actually that means the total, uh, the total since Peter preached his first sermon and the Holy Spirit's poured out has now grown to 5,000. It, it doesn't matter too much. It's just, it's just not totally clear from the text. But what's clear is that, again, there's some dramatic things happening to people who've seen this remarkable miracle that we talked about last week. See, it, just to summarize here, these verses, Peter's been arrested and thousands more are responding to the gospel. There's, a, there's like a sermon about Jesus and the, holy, the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit is so powerful that maybe a thousand or more people, men, are responding and Peter's arrested. That's what's happening here. It is quite remarkable. You see, the first thing I wanted to say, as I've said to you, is about the advance, the success of the gospel. And you think, well, this is a bit strange. I've just got arrested. But I, it's important to understand, no, the gospel is still succeeding. It's still prospering. It's still being fruitful here. And 
People can be arrested for proclaiming the gospel. We actually see it throughout history and it's happening around the world today. But you can't arrest the onward success of the gospel. It's just not possible. There's a story which um, is quite well known. There, there was, there was a, uh, a man called Voltaire whose writings was, uh, he was kind of aggressively anti what the Bible stood for and what the Bible said and the claims of Jesus. At very aggressively anti, said many, many uh, things in opposition to, to the Bible and to the claims of, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, in 1776, he, he said this, that 100 years from my day, i.e. from 1776, there will not be a Bible on earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. I, I, it's kind of an antique value thing. Oh, there's a Bible. Oh, yeah. Haven't seen these for a while. That, that's, oh, yeah, it's interesting to get hold of one of these. No, no one really uses these anymore. That's what he said in 1776. The interesting end to this story is that quite shortly after that, uh, he dies and his house becomes used to print, publish, store, and distribute tracts of the Bible. And so I could quote you countless examples of people that have said, this is irrelevant, the gospel's irrelevant, you can't believe these things anymore, and God, it just continues, it just doesn't stop, it just continues to spread. And we shouldn't be surprised by stories like this we, we should expect the gospel to be effective. Uh, the book of Romans, Paul says this, Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power. What does he mean? What, what do you mean power? It, there's no military power here. There's no economic power. There's no cultural power even. This is spiritual power. This is spiritual power. The gospel has spiritual power to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ for everyone who believes in the message of Jesus. Everyone who believes, a spiritual power. And you think, what is this? Well, the power is in the cross. This strange thing that looks like weakness. When Jesus was put on the cross, everyone thought it's the end. It's a terrible way to die. It's a criminal's death. And yet the Bible looks on it spiritually and says, no, this is spiritual power. This is stronger than any army. It's stronger than any finance that might come against it, any cultural power. There's, there's such power in the message of the cross. It's, it's, the, it's the power of God for everyone who believes. And that could be you today looking at this. There was a day when I believed. Spiritual power came into my life when I believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is the only way to God, the only way that I can bridge the gap that's come between me and God because of the sins of the world and the sins that are in Adam that separate me from God. And Jesus comes and lives this perfect life and dies on the cross for me to take the punishment that should have been on me and I get to go free. And that is spiritual power came into my life and suddenly my relationship with God is completely changed. We should expect the gospel to be effective. We shouldn't really be surprised when we read about thousands responding. It shouldn't shock us. It's the same power today 
It's the same Father, the same Son, the same Holy Spirit, the same Trinity. It's the same message and the needs of the human heart are the same. So we shouldn't be surprised that the gospel bears fruit. It says of Jesus, it was prophesied over him in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, of the increase of his government. This is some 600 years before Jesus is walking the earth. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. No end. The increase of his government and peace. Don't be surprised it's happening today because it was said of him hundreds of years before he walked the earth. So we need to keep getting a bigger picture of what's happening in the world today. We can, we can live in Europe, secular Europe, and it can feel tough. It can feel difficult. Are people interested? I mean, praise God, there's many on an Alpha course this term looking in to the claims of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Hallelujah. But it can feel difficult with your friends. Is it, it, we've just got to lift our eyes and understand that across the nations, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are responding to this gospel of Jesus Christ. There's continents in the world today where the, where the gospel is breaking out. The church is growing at phenomenal rates. Some of the most persecuted, uh, some of the countries, I would say, with the tightest rules, the most anti-Christianity is where the church is growing the fastest. Because you can't put it back into a bottle. It's out. What, what happened with Jesus at the cross? It's like it's come out of the bottle. You can't put it back in. You can't stop it. You can't arrest it. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. My friends, let's get a bit, let's understand, let's understand, let's understand this is a gospel that we are commissioned to go with and we should be confident in it. We should be confident that it will succeed, that it is advancing. So that's the first thing I want to say. But look, there's a but, there is a but in this passage. Did everyone respond? No, I don't think everyone did respond. In this passage we've read <clears throat> and no there'll always be people that set their hearts against the gospel they don't want it it's the same today and it's always been that way see let's just put ourselves in the minds of the disciples or the, or the apostles the followers of jesus at this time it's, it's a crazy time for them jesus has died it's disaster what's happened our savior's gone can't believe it jesus warned them but they didn't understand and they're despondent, they're despairing. And then, oh my goodness, he's back. He's risen from the dead. This is amazing. And then he says, no, I've got to go. No. And they see him literally bodily ascend to heaven. And he says, wait, pray. The Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on you. And actually, I'll be with you by my spirit to the end of the age. It's a confusing time. And then the spirit is poured out. And then we're starting to see thousands becoming followers of Jesus. There's this new community being formed. Oh, this is amazing this is great this is success this is success it just seems a bit different it's like when jesus was here there was people after him all the time like wanting to get him arrest him <clears throat> this is different this feels different and then we get to verse one we just read and as they were speaking to the people the priests and the captain of the temple and the sadducees came upon them verse two greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Verse 3, and they arrested them and put them in prison until next day. Ouch. John Stott, who, who's written a commentary, well-known English theologian, has written a commentary on the book of Acts. He, he says this, and it's worth, it's worth me reading this out to you. <clears throat> he says, Luke 
has painted an idyllic picture of the early Christian community in Jerusalem. Its members, having received forgiveness and the Holy Spirit, were conscientious in their learning from the apostles, their worship of God, their care of one another, and their witness to those as yet outside their fellowship. Everything was sweetness and light. Love, joy, and peace reigned. Commissioned by Christ and empowered by his Spirit, they stood on the threshold of the great missionary adventure which Luke is going to describe. And then he talks about this, this ship called the Church of Jesus is ready to catch the wind of the Spirit and to set sail on a voyage of spiritual conquest. It's kind of felt like that the last weeks, isn't it? It's what it feels like. But almost immediately, a perilous storm blew up. A storm of such ferocity that the church's very existence was threatened. We'll see more about this in the coming weeks. He goes on to say this, for a full understanding of the early church, we need to read the Acts of the Apostles and the book of Revelation side by side. Both tell much the same tale of the church and of its experiences of conflict, but from a different perspective. Luke in the Acts chronicles what unfolded on the stage of history before the eyes of observers. John in the Revelation enables us to see the hidden forces at work. In Acts, human beings oppose and undermine the church. In the book of Revelation, the curtain is lifted and we see the hostility of the devil himself. You see, verse 5 through 9, the religious leaders are questioning them. They say in verse 7, by what, by what power or by what name did you do these things? They're not happy. They're greatly disturbed. This is what's going on. And we shouldn't be surprised. You see, life, Christian life isn't like the first three, just like the first three chapters of the book of Acts. Got to say that. Y yes, I, I've spoken to you already about the gospel. We should be confident in the gospel. We really should be. It's the power of God unto salvation. But there is another side to the Christian life that we start to see coming out here. You see, the authority of Jesus is always challenged. Jesus told a parable, a story himself. You find it in Luke 19. In verse 12, he says, he says, therefore, a nobleman, he's talking about himself now, but in kind of a, a, as a parable, not, not, he's not saying it's him, but this is who he's talking about. <clears throat> a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Luke 19 verse 14 says, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And that's what it can feel like. It can feel like that's what's going on, actually. Not everyone does understand who Jesus really is. Understand that to have his lordship in your life is a wonderful thing. It's a releasing thing. Many think this is a constraining, terrible thing. That's what it's like today, friends. We've got to be real about that. See, Jesus is telling a story about his own authority here. Not everyone wants it to receive him. As a follower of Jesus, we can feel like Sometimes we live against the tide of history. It's like things are going against us. We feel a bit out of, bit out of kilter, a bit out of shape. It feels a bit strange. Events can kind of move against us. And where is Jesus? What's going on? Well, this can feel lonely. See, we can feel like people oppose us personally. Share the gospel. I always encourage you to share the gospel, but, but, but do it led by the Holy Spirit in a, in a winsome way. 
But not everyone wants to hear it. You can get opposition to the work of Christ. You see, I want to say this to you today. If that's you, and you, you, maybe you feel rejected or you feel dejected or you feel sad, I want to say to you, don't take things personally. You see, in, in verse 2, it says they're greatly annoyed because they were teaching and proclaiming in, 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 in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. In Jesus. And verse 7, by what power or what name do you do this? You've got to understand, if people, if you share the gospel with someone and they really don't like it, what, what they're not liking is the claims of Jesus coming through your life. It's not you personally. It feels like that. I'm sure it does. I know it does. But actually, people are rejecting the work of Jesus in your life. That's what's happening. It's important for us to remember that. See, we've got to know that this God is in control. This absent king, who, like, where's he gone? He's going to return, but where's he gone? You see, they were arrested and put in prison overnight. What were they thinking? Were they thinking, oh no, what happened to Jesus when he got arrested? What's going to happen to us? We don't know. It doesn't say. But what we do know is that they find their confidence in God. It is extraordinary. See, the Apostle Paul talks about similar things. Jesus says, uh, uh, he talks a story about himself and says, people aren't going to want me. There's many who won't want me to reign. Okay, the Apostle Paul writes similar things about his life of success and fruitfulness in the gospel and opposition. He says this in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. He says, but I will stay in Ephesus. He's writing to the church in Corinth. I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? Well, because a wide door for effective work has opened to me. Great. That sounds good. Well done, Paul. What a success. And in the same sentence, he says, and there are many adversaries. That's kind of the story of the Christian life. That, that would be kind of my story in some ways. It's like, uh, there's a wide door for, a, for effective work for Jesus. Yes, there is. It's amazing. What a privilege to serve Jesus. And there are many adversaries. There's a comma. It's not even a different sentence. It's the same sentence. And there are many adversaries because there is a spiritual battle going on. Jesus, Jesus is resisted. You see, he also says this in Philippians 3.10. He wants to, he says that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And we're going, we're cheering. Yes, we want to know Jesus. Yes, of course we want to know Jesus. Oh, the power of his, yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And that we may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. We're not so keen. We're not so keen on that part. Let me just finish this. 2 Corinthians 4, we've got time just to do this. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this. He writes his second letter to the church in Corinth. And um, he, he says this. It just gives you an insight. This man who has extraordinary success in the gospel and starting churches, but he, he, he writes this about Timothy and himself. He says, we are afflicted in every way. That means the word afflicted, the Greek word kind of means we're hard pressed in from every side. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's what your life feels like right now. It's like you're squeezed on every side. It's like this is coming and this is coming and this and this. And th it's just like it's getting tighter. That's what it feels like. He says we're afflicted in every way, but there's buts. But we're not crushed. We're not destroyed. It feels really tight and tough, but it's not destroying us. He, he, he says, we're perplexed. 
Yeah, we're mystified by something. Why is this happening? Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel mystified. Maybe you feel this opposition in, the, in, in, in respect of mystery. The things that you don't understand why this is happening. Paul says we're perplexed. But we're not driven to despair. We're not giving up. We don't understand, but we're not going to give up. We're still going to hope. There's still a great hope in Jesus. He says we're persecuted. It kind of means we're hunted. It feels like someone's after us. We're persecuted, but we're not, for, we're not forsaken. We're not abandoned. I mean, you feel like that. Maybe you feel like, oh, I feel a bit like I'm hunted. What's going on at the moment? You're not forsaken. Jesus has said he'll be with you to the end of the age. And he finishes by saying struck down. And that literally means prostrate on the ground. That's what it means. Literally, it's like I'm flat on the ground, but I'm not destroyed. I'm not destroyed because I've got Jesus. My friends, maybe that's you. This is a walk of, this is a Christian walk where we see extraordinary, wonderful things happen. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. It is, but at the same time, we can feel like, we can feel like there's, there's pushback and there's struggle and there's mystery and there's misunderstanding and there's things happening. I don't know why that's happening. I never expected that. It starts here. It starts here in chapter four. They get arrested and put, what? You get arresting them? Yes, and it continues, and it will continue. You see, this story has always looked a bit strange, this Galilean carpenter to rule over all things. But hey, look around the world today. See what God's doing. I want you to be confident. I want you to be, I'm, I'm trying to speak to you about a realistic view of what it is to live for Jesus. There, there, there will be spiritual opposition but there'll be wonderful moments of breakthrough and it, it, just knowing the hope that Jesus calls you to and knowing him in your life. Just wonderful. We just have to walk with both these things. Paul, the wide open door for effective work and there are many adversaries. It's kind of what it, that's kind of what it is. I want to say to you, if he's raised Jesus from the dead, which I believe he has, the Father, then he can do anything. If Jesus is alive forevermore, he's conquered death, then he can do anything. Be confident. Be confident in the gospel. Be confident that Jesus is alive and risen from the dead. And I want to encourage you, have high hopes. In the midst of all I've just said to you about challenge, have high hopes. Do not be shaped by your past experience. Do not be shaped by opposition that's in front of you. Do not be shaped by setback and disappointment. Be shaped from the fact that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and he's alive forevermore. And your great hope is in him and it can never be taken. He is enthroned forever. Let's believe in that. Let me say one last um, thing to you, and that is be confident in the gospel. We've looked at the advance of the gospel. We looked at opposition to the gospel. From these 12 verses, be confident in the gospel. <clears throat> Verse 8 through 12, we look at the boldness of Peter, who comes out of prison, <laughs> spending a night there. What does he do? Does he shrink back? Uh, no, he doesn't. Verse 10 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke, who's writing, Dr. Luke writes, he said, that's his, that, this is the guy that denied Jesus. He's just been in prison all night. Now he's filled with the Holy Spirit saying to them this. Verse 10, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, by him this man is now standing before you well. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. What's he talking about? You might be going. You, you, you see, Christ 
is the stone that's rejected, but actually he's become the cornerstone. This is full of symbolism. This is happening in the temple or in a part of the temple, okay? The cornerstone is what they used to use to start a building to make sure the building is lined up, the walls are straight, and every, it stands and it's, it's well built. And he's saying, this Jesus whom you've rejected has now become the cornerstone. You have to, you see, the thing is, you can't add Jesus into your life as a bit of help. The Bible doesn't give you the option to do that. What it says is that Jesus, you have to give your life to Jesus and let him shape you. You don't shape Jesus. He shapes you. You fall on Jesus and he changes you and you become more like him. And that's our calling. And then we find our meaning and identity and who we're supposed to be. But you don't shape him. He comes to shape you. You can't add him in. He comes and says, no, I'm the best thing that could ever happen in your life. You need to line up with me. I'm the cornerstone. That's what it's saying here. It's full of symbolism. You don't just add Jesus to your life. Verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. This is what Peter says. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Wow. There's no other way. That's what he's saying. You can't, there's, there's no, there, there is no other option. You can't get right with the creator God that this book talks about. You can't. The one that created you and me. You can't get right with him unless you accept the saving work of Jesus Christ at the cross. That he takes the penalty of sin that was on your life and it goes on him. And his perfect life is accredited to you. That's the only way. There's no other way. It's very difficult to say that today. It's not popular. It's not popular, but it's true. Peter says it here very clearly. No one, there's salvation in no one else. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Accepting his work at the cross is the only way to deal with sin that separates us from a holy God. Let me finish with this because I just consider Peter I look at Peter I look at what God's doing in this man's life I looked at Proverbs 29 25 and he says this Proverbs 29 25 says the fear of man lays a snare or a trap it's like if you're afraid of people it's like a trap trap something you don't really know is there until you're in it so he says the fear of man is a trap but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe and as I want to finish, I, I don't want you to hear. I don't want you to hear me saying today. Just try harder. Just get some more courage. Just come on. It's not what I'm saying to you. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life. I, I just I want to finish with this Psalm 23. It's, we know it so well. I just want to finish with just part of Psalm 23. I think it's appropriate. Verse five says this. <clears throat> It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. See, the answer isn't to try harder. You see, if you feel, you probably aren't surrounded by, I don't want you to see people as your enemies, but you do have an enemy of your soul, the Bible says, that can be working through people and often is. That's your enemy. People aren't your enemies, but it can feel like that. But you do have an enemy. 
You have a spiritual enemy. And the answer from God in the Bible isn't to try harder, isn't to try and pluck up more courage, is to say, God, you prepare a table. You've got a banquet of goodness for me in the presence of people that feels like they're opposing me and circumstances that come against me. Don't fight them. God doesn't give you a weapon. God doesn't give you a sword to go and fight things. Or It's not what he does. He, he says, I've got good things for you. Come and sit down with me. Come and taste of my goodness. Come and know my love shed abroad in your heart. Come and know something more of the mercy on your life. This grace, this kindness towards you, the wonder of the gospel, my presence with you. The Bible talks about this love of Christ, how high and wide and deep and long it is. Come and feast on that. That's what you need. And then you anoint my head with oil, which often means the Holy Spirit. My cup overflows. What you need is if you feel opposed, if you feel closed in on many sides, if you feel like you've got mystery, you need is more of the Holy Spirit. You need more of what the Bible talks about, this oil that overflows. The Holy Spirit's been promised that he will overflow. He will, he will, the, the, the Spirit will be poured out. That's what you need. Come and ask for more of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm saying to you today. If you're feeling like that, even if you're feeling great and things are going well, ask for more of the Holy Spirit in your life. Ask that, God, help me to feast on your goodness. Help me to know how wonderful your love is. Friends, let's do that. We, we see... In these, uh, we see in these things, I want you as I finish to be convinced, be convinced of the unstoppable progress of the gospel. Just understand that Jesus and his gospel, this good news of Jesus, will always be opposed. Don't be surprised. Be confident in the gospel and not yourself. Be confident in the goodness of God. Be confident that God has spread this table, this of good things for you. Come and feast on him. Come and understand his goodness. Be confident in the work of Jesus Christ and his saving power. Father, we just pray now for everyone who's heard this. I pray for everyone in the room. God, as they hear this, maybe struggling, maybe having mystery, confusion. I just pray now. Just draw close as we seek to draw close to you. And Holy Spirit, let's come and minister Jesus to us. We want to know your presence with us. For the glory of Jesus. Amen.